0: Thanks for joining the Capital Church Podcast Channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co. Or send us an email at info at CapitalChurch. How many excited to be in the house of the Lord today? No, 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 no. Come on. How many are you excited to be in the house of the Lord? Jesus is good. Man, we love you guys. I love your faces. My wife and I, we pray for you every single day, and we're so blessed to. Uh, my wife, Kelly, right over here. She is the love of my life, and we are honored to lead the greatest church in the world. And uh, you guys are amazing. Hey, can we give it up to our worship team? We love them. They're amazing. Give it up for our host. Pastor Ken Wild, our lead elder, Mark Thornton. How many of you love Pastor Mark Thornton? Blessed with a great leadership team. All right, you guys know the drill turn to your neighbor, say it, don't spray it. Just say, hey, man, I'm so glad you're here today. Turn to your other neighbor and I, say, I'm so glad. Even if you don't mean it, fake it. Say, I am so glad that the NFL is starting next Sunday. How many of you say we need more sports? Our college football started yesterday, I think, right? No, some, some of it. Anyways, we are in um, uh, unprecedented times. Uh, actually, can, can you bring up my phone really quick, someone? Um, we are living in unprecedented times. And uh, last week, how many of you were here last week? Okay, many of you were here last week. We talked about um, how we measure Jesus-shaped maturity, and we talked about self-giving love. And it was kind of a launching point for us uh, as we move into the next things, babe. Can you give it up to my beautiful, gorgeous wife? Um, and so we used last week's message, or I wanted to use last week's mes- message as a launching point for the next several months. We're going to be talking about hard— um, conversations, and we can't talk about the hard conversations if we first don't choose to love each other. Can I get an amen to that? Um, so what we what we do, what I actually made the decision to do, we're going to start Jesus for the people next week. We never start a message series on Labor Day because half the people don't show up, but you guys are the faithful people, right? Uh, so uh, we're going to start that next week, and we're going to be talking about um, all things. Uh, justice movements. We're going to be uh, critiquing things. We're going to be talking about God's justice. We're going to be talking about the Christian story, and I'm not going to even try to convince you, right? I'm just going to say, hey, this is what the Christian story looks like, and let's compare it to other movements right now that's going on in our world. Are you okay with that? Please don't leave the church. If you don't agree with what I have to say, I am right. You're wrong, right? Um, but I'm really excited for this. Um, next uh, sermon series. But today I'm going to be talking about, I actually had this sermon last, uh, two weeks ago that I shared with you. Uh, It was all about going into the depths. And so I wasn't able to finish it. I had three points. And so I'm going to finish this message and then we'll end, we'll pray. And I want to pray God's grace over you at the end of this service. So if you brought your Bibles, turn turn to Luke chapter five, Luke chapter five. And uh, I'm going to begin in verse one. So the basic idea here is uh, how do we move into the depths of God? How many of you want to be more joy-filled no matter what? How many of you want to be a generative Christian, right? How many of you want to live and walk in God's victory irrespective of your circumstances, right? So how do we move beyond the shallows, right? Can I get a hello? How do we move beyond our despair and depression and anxiety and frustration? Any frustrated people here, right? How do, how do we get out of all of that stuff. How do we move into God's peace when everything around us seems to be um, against us? And so, I want to talk uh, quickly about those few issues about moving into the depths of God. So, Luke chapter five, and I'm just going to summarize summarize some of my thoughts from last or two weeks ago. But Luke five verse one says, "On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God." He was standing by, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon. The whole drama here, as we mentioned two weeks ago, is framed around tension. And the tension here is all around what Simon thinks should happen and what Jesus tells him to do. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But, everyone say but. My cousin used to say this a lot. God's butt is bigger than your butt.'" I just wanted to make sure you're awake. God bless you. Have a wonderful. I, I promised myself I would never say that because I hated that. But, everyone say but. But, I am not a youth pastor. I promise I'm a lead pastor. But, I'm mature. But, I've grown up. But, right, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Let me just say this really quick. Two weeks ago, we talked about the first point. If we're going to learn to move beyond the shallows, beyond our despair and joylessness, and move into the joy and the peace and the authority that God has has for us, we have to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, build up a tolerance for tension. Can I get an amen to that? How many of you this this last six months, your faith has been contested? Everyone raise your hand, right? How many of you have prayed the prayer? I pray this all, all the time, Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? Right? We're going. And I preached this a couple weeks ago out of Psalm uh, chapter 23. Though we walk through, everyone say through, the valley of the shadow of death, right? Our God is still with us. So we don't get stuck in the valley of the shadow of death. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? But we all know, let's just be honest, I like, I like honesty at church. We're going through a global valley of the shadow of death, and it feels like everything's a circus, right? We're living in a real life. I never thought in my wildest imaginations we'd be living in this pandemic, this dystopian nightmare. Our republic, I read, I, I, I decided to stop reading Economist because they're way too depressing, right? But a couple of months ago, I read from one economist that, um, man, our republic is on the verge of destabilization, We were in a state of polarization, and a couple of months ago, they were claiming we're on the verge of destabilization. We hear negativity after negativity after negativity. We talk about this a lot. We hear about people getting sick. We hear about people losing their jobs, losing their lives, and there's suffering, right? We hear about injustice and violence and anarchy. And I've been praying this over and over as your lead pastor with my my wife, and we're like, God, please put an end to all of this. Because we believe that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, right? And every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We believe in Matthew chapter 28 that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples. And here's the really good news that God is with you to the very end of the age. So if God is with you at the very end of the age, he's at least with you at the end of this pandemic. Or your depression, can I get an amen? Amen or at the end of your Mondays or Tuesdays or Wednesdays. So these are wonderful promises, and these are promises that we declare over our lives, over our families, over our city, and over our nation, and yet it's not ending. What, what do we do with that? Well, I think we are in a moment, and I feel like this is the Holy Spirit, and some of you need to hear this, and I, I preached this a couple weeks ago. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to build up a tolerance for tension what's, a tension, what's the, the tension that we are in as Americans or as, as a global community, right? We are in the tension of waiting. How many of you like to wait? I've talked about this way too, too many times. It's, it's becoming kind of like a cliche, but, but our lives are defined by hurry sickness, right? How many, how many, how many people like when you're driving, you, you have to take the shortcut. How many of you like driving on Eagle Road? I cannot stand it, right? My wife hates driving with me because if I see traffic at all, I always take the shortcut, and I'm always right, and she's always wrong, right? As Americans, we don't like to wait. We suffer from hurry sickness, right? We don't, we don't, we don't like lines. We want shortcuts, But here's the thing, and this is what I'm realizing in this season, and please hear me, and I believe this is a word from God. You cannot microwave God's plan like it's a burrito. You can't microwave God's maturity and his power and sometimes even his joy like it's a frozen dinner. Now, yes, God will do miracles. And yes, by definition, you could call that a shortcut, but there's also seasons that we go through wherein the New Testament says, you are in need of endurance. I hate that, right? Because every time I go to Jack City Fitness, which is, and and I go to Marshall, who is my trainer, and he puts together this plan, and at the end we have endurance, and I'm like, oh, Marshall, after we've done strength, after we've worked out, He has some endurance for us. And I'm always thinking, ah, how can we, like, do less of that? Right? You have need of endurance. What does that mean? What that means is, hey, sometimes seasons are protracted and you go through difficult times. And sometimes it feels like God is not doing anything, but he's still in charge. God doesn't waste the season. He still works in your season. But sometimes God will allow certain things to be prolonged because you are in need of endurance. What does that mean? God wants to get you into shape. And Romans chapter 5 tells us that the character that God has for you and the way that God wants to transform you comes through adversity. I hear a lot of folks say, hey, adversity shows us who you really are. That's a half-truth. God actually uses adversity to form you and to shape you into his image. So some of us, man, we're asking the question and we are praying the lament out of Psalm 13. How long, oh Lord, I just want to encourage you. God is in charge even though he feels like he's just taking way too long. Right? God is not wasting the season. God knows exactly what you are going through, what our nation is going through, what our city is going through, what our families are going through, what this world is going through. Our God and his relationship with this world is defined by living care. But there are some things that God will allow to grow his grace in us. You and I are in need of endurance. So be encouraged. If God hasn't answered that prayer, that doesn't mean that God will not answer that prayer. Just because you can't see what God is doing doesn't mean that God is not doing anything. This is hard. I'm not, this is easy for us to like, ah! but on Monday when we're by ourselves... Come on, somebody, this is a little bit harder to practice or put into practice. Like, okay, circumstances are coming against me and I'm not feeling it and I have symptoms in my body or or I'm praying about this one issue and it just seems like it's not being resolved and we ask in our heart of hearts, God, where are you? That's okay, but I want to encourage you, God's not going to waste this season. God's at work in you. So we have to build up. We have to learn to build up by the power of the Holy Spirit a tolerance for tension. And we find this tension In Peter. For Peter, it's not waiting. The tension's over inconvenience. He's washing his nets, right? He's toiled all night. He has fished all night, and then Jesus says, hey, I know you've been doing this all night. I know you're washing your nets, and that's a big project, but uh, I just got done preaching the hell out of everybody, right? Now, I want you to get in your boat, and I want you to go out into the deep. I want you to launch into the deep at my word, and you're going to catch fish, Peter has to make a decision. Do you feel it, right? He's like, uh, hey, I'm the fisherman, right? Not you. You're the carpenter, teacher, philosopher, rabbi, whatever, right? Peter's trying to figure out who Jesus is. The tension for Peter is one of inconvenience. We have tensions in our life, but we have to learn to stay in the tension so that God can grow us. And as He grows us, right? We then have to, number two, which is my second point, we have to surrender. We have to surrender to God's ultimate authority. This is what Peter said in verse 5. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. So we got to learn to build up a tension or a tolerance for tension. Number two, we have to surrender to the authority of God's word. Which means that I talked to several of you uh, a couple weeks ago, which means that we have to give up control. I in the last six months I realized I man I am a control freak. How many of you you like your your days just mapped out themed, like Mondays they are themed for me right? It, I have seventeen thousand kids so I never I don't have a theme right right? But I, I love having my day's routine. Am I speaking the truth, right? we. But, but at the bottom of it, maybe you're not a schedule guy or, or person or whatever. That's okay. But at the heart of it is humans. We want control because control means what? Safety, right? And our desire, our insatiable desire for control implies or behind that is this um, fear that infects us all, right? but peter has to make a decision here he has to make a decision okay will i trust my experience as a fisherman or will i surrender to the authority of jesus and this is a this Luke and drama i love it is making the point because as i mentioned a couple of weeks ago this whole section from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 9 shows us the remarkable or outrageous authority of Jesus, right? And I'm not going to get into it. But what Luke is saying here is that Jesus is in charge of the lake. Everyone say Jesus is in charge of the lake. The lake or the Sea of Galilee here, this is just fancy talk. Just go with me, okay? Can I nerd out for 30 seconds? The lake here is a microcosm of creation in macrocosm. So when Jesus says, I want you to go to depths, right? Jesus is making a statement that he's in charge of of the lake and everything under the lake. So he's in charge of the ecosystem under the lake. What Luke is telling us and he's going to build this towards this understanding of who Jesus really is, that Jesus is in charge of the lake as a microcosm of Jesus' authority over creation in macrocosm, which means that there's nothing that lies outside. I say this all the time, but there's nothing. Everyone say there's nothing. There's nothing that lies outside the range of God's sovereign love and wisdom and authority. Come on, everyone say nothing. Nothing. Nothing, 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 nothing. Not Not our political system right now. Not the process of what some economists would say, the process of destabilization. There is nothing, not, not sickness, not, not cancer, not this pandemic, not fear, not injustice. There is nothing that lies outside the range of God's sovereign authority. So if we want to move into the depths and into the joy and the grace and the flow, everyone say the flow, that happens when we open up our lives to the kingdom of God. We have to surrender the authority of Jesus. And then number three, uh, I'm almost uh, to my message here. All of you are depressed. I know. I hate it when preachers do that. I promise it's not going to be a long message. But number three, two weeks ago, we talked about um, how Peter receives this miracle. And I want to read this in verse 6. It says, when they had done this, so Peter responds to the words of Jesus. He goes out of the deep. And uh, they enclosed a large number of fish, Luke tells us, and their nets were breaking. Verse 7, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both the boats so they began to sink. This is what we need if we want to be people of the depths in this next season. We need each other or we will die. I want you to feel that. We need each other or we will die. (laughs) We need each other. A house divided against itself cannot stand. House divided against itself cannot stand. I'm going to be talking about this over the next several months. The church cannot be divided if the church wants to be the church. If the church wants to embrace its vocation of being salt and light, right? this world, if we want to embrace, Lord, that image-bearing vocation of reflecting the goodness and the love and wisdom back into our world, we cannot be a divided house. So I'm going to say this as your lead pastor, stop the slander right now. Stop the gossip right now. On social media, with your family, just so you know, I know what a lot of people are saying. But I just, hear my heart, I refuse to go to a bunch of other people and talk about what other Christians are saying and dishonoring those Christians that I disagree with. I ain't going to do it as your pastor. If I disagree with you, and you're not a Dallas Cowboy fan, and you're weird, I'm not going to talk behind your back. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray for you. Apparently, my prayers are not anointed because only two of you are Dallas Cowboy fans, right? The point that I'm trying to make is we need each other. The engines of chaos, and they're creeping in the church, work only in disunity. So if we're slandering each other, we're gossiping, we're hating on each other, we can't believe why they would choose that thought or they would post that thing and we're so, or this pastor would preach this, I, whatever, right? We cannot give in to the forces of chaos. Come on, somebody. By dividing over politics. Now, I promise you, we will talk about some really hard things over the next six to eight weeks. And as we talk about hard things, the only way that we're going to be able to stay together is not by our knowledge, as I talked about last week. The way we stay together, we stick together, is by love. And everyone said amen. So as I start and as I close, are you guys still with me? The centerpiece, and I believe this next point, is the centerpiece of a great awakening. How many of you want a great awakening? In my moments, in my like two minutes a day moments, I've been reading on awakenings, right, and moves of God. And there are really two things, two. Everyone say two. There are two. If you want to map out the last five, six great awakenings in um, the Western world over the last 200 years. There are two themes that all Great Awakenings share or have in common. The first one, a move of God on a large scale. How many of you want a move of God on a large scale? A move of God on a large scale is preceded always by crisis. So that's the bad news. The good news, hey, the bad news is we are in a crisis. The good news is God does not need perfect situations for God to pour out his spirit. He doesn't need everything right. Come on, somebody. He doesn't need everything perfect. He doesn't need everything to line itself up for him to move in our cities and in our neighborhoods and in our churches. In fact, crisis, what does it do? It prepares. It prepares us right, as we go through difficult times, it wakes us up to reality. We become more serious about reality itself. It rescues us from our, and I'm just going off the top of my head, just go with me, it rescues us from our easygoing complacency. I think that's one of the biggest problems of the church in the western world. We are just too complacent about evil, and I'm going to talk about that again over the next few weeks. So number one, a move of God. On a large scale, is always preceded by a crisis. Number two, you see this in every move of God, large-scale move of God. When God's people choose not to lie to themselves, that is when God moves. Verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down after he caught all this fish. He fell down. At Jesus' knees, and this is what he said. Depart from me, for I am a what? Come on, everyone. Sinful. I forgot. We don't have anything. I usually have scriptures behind me. I'm like, why are they not repeating me? Come on, guys. You can't read right now. (laughs) I'm sorry. Fake screen. Okay. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Oh, Lord, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. What does Peter say here? He says, depart from me, for I am a sinner. Peter's a lot of things, right? Peter has a lot of issues. I don't know, growing up what I would read about Peter, I mean, he was like a, to me, he was like a physical specimen. Like he was, I don't know, he went to Jack City Fitness, he worked out a lot. I used to think of Peter as as large, a large man, right? Like, I used to think of him as brash, and he, he was certainly brash. We know he was bold, right? Uh, we know he, he made many mistakes. If, if we had an Enneagram test back then, he probably was a three. He was a performer with a little bit of narcissism, right? That's kind of Peter, right? But there's one thing he's not, and please hear me. Peter is many things, but there's one thing he's not. He's not a liar. Now, let me just say this. If we want to move with God, we have to choose to stop lying to ourselves. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, man, he's talking, about, he's talking to the two patho- pathological liars here right now. No, I am talking to every single person here today. We all do it. Do not lie to yourself. This is what I love about Peter. Again, he makes many mistakes, but what I love about him is that he's honest. He says, God, depart from me. I am a sinner. Here's the thing. We have an incredible capacity, every single one of us, to deceive ourselves. From Jeremiah to Jesus, they make it very clear that the problem with our world is that the human heart socializes itself in deceitfulness and wickedness. We lie to ourselves. And that deceitfulness and wickedness doesn't mean that you're, you, you're a psychopath, right? That deceitfulness and wickedness can manifest itself in so many different ways, And we are living in an hour where I believe Jesus, and please hear me today, is looking for a people who are honest about where they're at. Can I get an amen to that? One author, I love this, said this, left to ourselves, we would rather walk a thousand miles than sit before an unpleasant truth. Can I get an amen to that? When we look at the Gospels, the Gospels emphasize continually the the spoiledness of creation. The Gospels emphasize Over and over and over again, as in the words of one author, that um, it's not our weaknesses that is problematic in our relationship with God. What's the problem, the gospels emphasize, is our rationalization, our denial, our lying, and the hardening of our hearts in the face of truth. In fact, one scholar, he writes, don't shout me down here. He writes about the unpardonable sin. It's when Jesus performs an exorcism and the, the Pharisees, and the scribes, what do they do? They basically say that Jesus is from Beelzebub, right? So people are wondering, okay, how does, how does Jesus, how does he have all this power, right? How is he doing what he's doing? Well, the religious establishment, or the religious authorities, they come and say, uh, well, you know what? Um, he's probably filled with the Bez, Beel, Beelzebub or Hasatan, and he got his power from Hasatan. Well, we all know within that time period in the world of Jesus, that anyone, everyone believed that anyone who could cast out a devil did that from the power of God. So basically, the scribes and the Pharisees committed the unpardonable sin because they were lying about Jesus and his work and what was happening during their time. Let me just say this really quick in the words of one author. Be careful not to lie not to distort the truth, because the real danger is that by lying, you and I begin to distort and and to warp our own hearts. Can I get an amen to that? If you lie to yourself long enough, eventually you you will lose sight of the truth and believe the lie and become unable any longer to tell the difference between truth and lies. What becomes unforgivable about that is not that God does not want to forgive but that you no longer want to be forgiven. God easily forgives all of your sins and weaknesses and will always forgive anyone who wants to be forgiven. Can I get an amen to that? But you can so warp your own conscience that you see God's truth and forgiveness itself as a lie, as Satan, and see your own lie as truth and forgiveness. That is the only sin that truly puts us outside of of God's mercy, not because God refuses to extend mercy further, but because you can look mercy in the eye and call it a lie. Man. I think many times we lie to ourselves about how close we are to Jesus. We lie to ourselves about where we're at. We lie to ourselves about our addictions. We lie to ourselves about our feelings, what we're processing, who we really are, who we actually are. So what's the key as I, as I kind of land this plane in four hours? How do we stop lying to ourselves? Well, number one, you have to be honest with God. It's really simple. You have to be honest with God. How do you do that, Chris? Well, I, I, I talk about this often. I think this is really important for us to practice if you want to be honest with God and you want to stop lying to yourself, how many of you want to walk in God's truth? Can I get it? Four people want that? The way you stop lying to yourselves is you have to do the, I think you have to do this daily. You have to pray how you feel. We don't live by our feelings. Please hear what I'm saying. But first, you have to pray how you feel. Psalm 39, verse 13, I read this last night. I love this passage. Uh, David is asking God, hey, teach me to number my days. He wants wisdom. And the whole motif of Psalm 39, as I was reading it last night, is about breath. He's like, teach me that life is just a breath. And so he goes through that. Then he talks about his hope in God. And then something interesting happens at the very end of this poem. You find this in verse 12. He goes, hear my prayer, O Lord. And give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears. For I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may, that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. So it's interesting. He, he's like, this is actually a really good poem. He's talking about God, give me wisdom. And then he says, I'm waiting on you, and I'm putting my hope in you. And then he says, please leave me so I can have some joy. Like, what's going on here? Right, what, what, what is, what, how, how do you, how is this in the canon, right? Right, because obviously David is praying an incorrect prayer. He says, look away from me before I depart that I may smile again. Right, what, what's going on? Well, I think as I realized last night, Psalm 39 teaches us that it is safe to be incorrect in the presence of Jesus. It's safe to be wrong. It's safe to be overwhelmed. It's safe to bring your brokenness to him. It's safe to say, hey, I'm wiped out, God, but I'm not telling anybody else that. It's safe to say, man, I'm tired of this stinking world and I'm tired of pandemics. It's even safe that you don't care about anything when you know you should care and you bring that to Jesus. Let me just say, it is safe to bring incorrect, incorrect of feelings, emotions, and thoughts to God. Can I get an amen? Depart from me, David said. It's totally incorrect. He's saying, if you depart from me, I'm going to have some joy. But that's absolutely false. There's one thing, we say this often, there's one thing God cannot give you. That is joy apart from himself. He can give you freedom, but he can't give you joy apart from himself. David, at the end, is not supposed to feel this way, but he does. However, we have this prayer in the canon of Scripture. One Old Testament scholar writes this, Derek Kidner. He goes, this prayer about looking away from me makes more sense, or makes less sense, or makes no sense than Peter's depart from me in Luke chapter 5. In fact, the very presence of such prayers in Scripture is a witness everyone say a witness is a witness to our misunderstanding or let me say it this way to God's understanding that he knows how we speak when we're desperate and when we're overwhelmed let me say this it's safe to be wrong and sinful hear what I'm saying it's safe to say that I'm an addict I don't like people I don't know if I even want to be a Christian with Jesus can I get an amen some of you are feeling that today. Chris, are you advocating for us just to do whatever we want? No. Are, are, Chris, are you advocating that we need to put more authority in our feelings? Absolutely not. I preach against that all the time. So we're not placing our authority in our circumstances and how we feel. Can I get an amen? We're placing our authority ultimately in God's word over us. But our starting point is we have to acknowledge where we're at. It's safe to acknowledge where we're at with Jesus. What's not safe is lying about where we're at with Jesus, pretending and faking and not really being close to Jesus and thinking that you, that you are, right? Not dealing with things that God wants to deal in our lives out of love, not judgment, not out of condemnation. Can I get an amen? It is not safe to pretend or to fake. It is totally safe. To bring your entire self and being, weaknesses and all to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords who loves you with an everlasting love. You see, the reason why it's not safe um, to lie about how you feel and where you actually are is because that's when your heart becomes hardened. And a hardened heart cannot experience the joy, the depths that God wants us to move into. So how do you do that? Well, number one, or excuse me, number two, or number five or 15, I don't know where I'm at, guys. You have to know the truth. You gotta pray how you feel. You gotta bring everything to Jesus. And number two, you gotta know the truth. John chapter eight says, if you abide in me, What will happen? You will know my truth, right? And the truth will what? Set you free. How do you know the truth? Well, you have to know the truth. Let me say it this way. How do you know the difference between a truth and a lie? Have you ever wondered? How do you know the difference between a truth and a lie? How do you know that thought that you're thinking is a true thought from God or a false thought from something else, yourself or something else? How do you make that distinction? Well, you have to become so immersed and so familiar with God's truth. When you understand God's truth, right, you can then figure out what's not true, what's a lie, what doesn't come from him. Can I get an amen? Some of us are so confused about what's happening in our minds on a daily basis. And a lot of that goes all the way back to we have forgotten the truth of who we are and the promises That God has for us. The way you discover a lie from a truth is you don't study the lie. You don't memorize the lie. You don't keep on telling yourself over and over and over. You put on repeat that I am this way. Or I come from this line. My family was this way. They were a bunch of drunks, so I'm gonna be this, right? Or this happened to my dad age what, 55, and so this is gonna happen to me. Or I, something's going to get me, right? right? You can't distinguish a truth from a lie by studying and repeating and memorizing and immersing yourself in the lie. You have to immerse yourself in the truth. I say this story a lot, and I'm going to end here soon. Preachers always lie. This is a story, you've, you've heard me say this, but I remember we moved downtown, and we loved living with all the vegans and the Subarus and the stretchy pants, it was amazing. My wife was a vegan and raw foodist and we were, she was living her dream. I was living my nightmare. So we were on Eighth street and, uh, we, we, we finally moved into our house and within a week we do a garage sale. And so we're selling everything. And I think we sold like a couple chairs and, uh, I wasn't there, but a couple came and, uh, bought these chairs that we were selling and gave my wife a $20 bill, right? No big deal. We took it, right? And, uh, the next week, uh, I, I my wife gave me the $20 bill. She sent me to the bank. I go to the bank. Thank God I went to the bank that I always go to. And um, this banker knew me, uh, really liked me. And so I remember I, I made a couple deposits, and then I, I deposited this $20 bill. So I'm sitting in the the drive-thru, and this banker is taking What seemed to be like 20 minutes. I'm like, oh my God, what's going on here? What's going on here? He finally comes out and he takes the $20 bill and he just slaps it on the the glass, right? And says, this is a counterfeit. And I remember, I'm like, oh my God. And the only thing that came out of my mouth was, I'm a pastor, I promise. I wasn't. I'm a good man. I literally thought he was going to come out and send me to jail. Like, I saw myself being cuffed, and I'm like, oh, my God, what are, what's my church going to think? You know, local pastor, right? Passing counterfeit bills, right? I remember just being overwhelmed, and I'm like, I promise you. This is, that I explained the whole story. He's like, I, I totally get it, but I don't to take this bill. And I'm like, take it, right? What's interesting about bankers, and I get this from a really good friend of mine, Scott Maurice, who we were talking about this several years ago. He says, this is how bankers tell the difference between The real thing and a counterfeit bill. A real bill, right? Genuine bill and a counterfeit bill. They're always looking at the genuine bills over and over and over and over and over and over every single day. Hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. They're looking at the real thing. They don't need to study, right, a counterfeit. They just need to study the right thing. And because they're so familiar with the right thing, they know what a $20 bill looks like. When a counterfeit $20 bill comes in, they know exactly what that is. I think the reason why so many times we give in to lies is because we have forgotten the truth. And we have memorized lie after lie, and we have studied the lie. And we've given our hearts and our minds to the lie. And we wonder why we don't have peace and joy. And for some of us, we're living a counterfeit life. Know the truth. Abide in the truth. This is an hour where as followers of Jesus, we cannot afford, hear my heart. I love you with all my heart. But if we're going to make it, if we're going to thrive, if we're going to see God do incredible things in our lives and through our lives, we cannot afford not being in God's word. So pray how you feel. Know God's truth. And then finally, this is so prosaic and I end here but I want to make this, I'm not going to add any adjectives or superlatives to this point. I want this point to be as prosaic and boring as possible, and I want you to feel it, okay? Because this point is so impossible for people to believe, and it's this. Back at Luke chapter 5, Peter says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. What does Jesus say? Follow me join me. All right, there's just I wish I could preach so much on this, but I can't do it today cuz I got to end. What's behind that? Well, this is my final point. If we want to move of God, we got to stop lying to ourselves, but two, we have to know in our bones that Jesus loves us. I'm going to say it until you get it. Jesus loves you. I'm gonna say it again. Jesus loves you. Not just the person next to you. Not just Pastor Mark Thornton, who is amazing. Not just my mom, Connie Wilde, who prays four hours a day, right? Not just the moral exemplar who we all look up to, who we think is always being blessed. Yes, God loves them, right? But Jesus loves you. This drama ends with astonishment. Peter's astonished at the miracle. Let me just say this. Miracles are signposts not only of new creation, but built into every miracle, big and small, is the reality that God loves and cares and is concerned for you. Jeremiah, when God called him, he couldn't believe it. To believe it, so what did he say? He goes, I'm too young. Moses, when God called him, he didn't believe it, he didn't believe it. He said, I can't speak, but God said, Hey, I made your mouth right, I'll give you the words to say. The stronger sense in the Hebrew, what God is telling Moses is, Hey, Moses, stutter and all, I made you exactly how I wanted you to be, so I don't care about your weaknesses, I'm going to use you in tremendous ways. Gideon, when God came to him, he said, I am the least, and God, I'm kind of like a pagan, why are you? calling me to do something on this large scale. Isaiah says the same thing. He says, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. Peter says the same thing. What does he say? God, depart from me for I am a sinner. They are astonished at the presence of God. They are astonished at the miraculousness of God's presence. But behind all of that, they are astonished that God would choose them. Can I just say this today right now? Please hear me. If you haven't heard anything else that I've said today, please hear this, God is choosing you today. Not just me, not just Pastor Ken Wild, not just somebody out in New York City or somebody on the on the coast of Oregon or California. No, Jesus is calling everyone here young and old, male and female. Dallas Cowboy fan or not, come on somebody. Cat lover, dog lover, come on. Does it matter the ethnicity you grew up in? Can I get an amen? Does it matter what family tree you are a part of? God is calling us. J.I. Packer says, "As he that has learned to feel his sins and to trust Jesus as his Savior has learned the two hardest and greatest lessons in Christianity. Being honest and also recognizing that even though you're broken, God still loves you. And I want to pray for you, but before I do, i got to give you a little bit of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said this. I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. And this is what he said emphatically. By God himself, it is not How God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance except insofar as it is related to how he thinks of us. And there are some of you here today, you you have always just assumed that you're on the outside. Everybody else is on the inside. The door is has been shut. You're knocking on the door and you want to get on the inside. You want to be welcomed. You want to belong. But can I tell you today, if you are in Jesus, in faith and in repentance and in the waters of baptism, the New Testament tells us that you are welcomed and you belong to him. You are not standing outside in the rain. You are not rejected. You don't have to measure up. You are on the inside, and you are sitting at the table. And God is calling you today to do something, to join him on his mission in this world. And everyone said, amen. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, I thank you for this wonderful group here today. Lord, we thank you for a move of God in our city, we thank you for miracles. Everyone say miracles. Lord, I thank you for a healing movement to sweep not only the city and our churches in this valley, but Lord, let it sweep across the land. Lord, we thank you that you are in fact the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that you are in charge. Lord, help us to know that, understand that. And I pray today that we would be honest, not only today, but this week, and maybe over the next several weeks, we would be honest with where we're at today. Lord, there's not one person in here that is absolutely perfect. There's not one person in here that doesn't have something that's keeping us from what you want to do through us. And we just, right now, if you could take your hand, put it on your heart, we just open our hearts and our minds, our our lives now to you, your loving correction. Help us to bring everything to you and know that as we bring everything to you in your presence, that you're not going to reject us, you're not going to hate on us, you're not going to castigate us, you're not going to censor us, you're not going to cancel us, you're not going to lampoon us. Father, I thank you, you're only going to restore and to love and to transform us. So I thank you for the engines, everyone say the engines, of transformation of the Holy Spirit would go to work in this church, in this hour, and in this city as we open our lives to your truth that sets us free in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, lastly, I pray that you would flood us with your love. The everlasting love, let it flood us today. Lord, let it kick out anxiety, depression, frustration, tiredness. Let us know that you're calling us in this hour for such a time as this. In Jesus' name. So we bless every son and daughter here. Lord, I just thank you. We got the best church in the world. Lord, I know it's crazy right now, but I thank you. We are exactly where you want us to be as a people. So we say yes to you, Holy Spirit. We say yes to your grace.